running, getting to the cake. Dog, you ain't a hundred, this a hundred. Let me demonstrate. If she ain't got brains, then I ain't trying to penetrate. And if you ain't a stand up needy, you could get your dinner ate. I ain't buying all that real shit. Dog, you benefit. To go on a dinner date. Now we on the interstate. Might be a rookie in the game, but I been a great. And we about autonomy, dog. We ain't trying to integrate. Man, we ain't trying to integrate. Was broke back then, now the youngest seeing different kick. We don't go off feelings, we just make sure that the business straight. And if you ain't an intellect, then you can't get a penetrate. Local Niji, now I'm getting love all in different states. Gotta Niji, if you ain't got scars, then you can't relate. Welcome to the On the Wake Up Radio. You are now tuned in to the Simon Creek Show. Your host, J. Alicia Amaru. I just want to give a special shout out to our producer, Cindy Ashby, for making this possible. If you haven't done so already, make sure you go over and sign up for the www.otw2.com so you can join our community of melanated Aboriginal content creators where your voice can be heard and you never have to worry about censorship. For today's episode of the Sovereign Creed Show, we welcome to the antidote, holistic home birth and homeschool versus traditional birth and public school. Oh yes, ladies and gentlemen, guys and goddesses, the time has come that we remove our seeds from the institutions of the oppressor. We can no longer operate in good faith with our seeds under the supervision of the people trying to essentially exterminate us. But here's the question. Have we ever operated in good faith under those conditions? The answer is no, a resounding no. Time is running out, and if our people haven't woken up from the nightmare, so does a dream, yet it's probably too late. All you have to do is read medical apartheid to see how long they have been experimenting on Aboriginal American mothers. If you research the history of eugenics and Planned Parenthood, it's not hard to find what their objective is. And if you're fortunate enough to give birth to a baby minus the defects, you still have to be concerned over schedule that they will have to be under in order to attend public school and speaking of public schools you know that the government sanctioned slave institutions can't wait to get their hands on your precious jewels six to seven hours a day 40 weeks a year so they can be molded into good obedient worker bees or be casted out of society and labeled degenerative malcontents by the time they reach the age of 18. the public school system is not designed to enhance or invigorate your child's intellect. It's designed to teach them how to follow directions. College degrees don't come with emotional, social, or financial intelligence. No. They come with an average of 40 to 100K in student loan debt, depending on the degree or institution. Any way you shake it, school is designed to promote compliance and indoctrination. It should not be confused with education. Nothing was 
was zero. I didn't do anything. This is a miracle for everyone that thinks there isn't racism. You let my son die. I hate this. I hate that I have to beg for treatment, medical treatment. And you wait till he dies. And you let his heart rate get to zero. Everyone, this is the truth of America. They just put his heart rate at zero. And I've been begging to do stuff all day. And they're not. I have been begging them to help him all day. They ignore me. They don't do anything I ask. And they wait till his heart rate gets zero. And while it's zero, they still don't call a code. They walk around doing nothing. And wait. They're, they're getting, they're getting, trying to get his pulse back. They got a pulse back. Everyone, this is America. Anything. You, just put the baby in the you guys, I'm human. This is I my baby. My baby is days old. And you're taking my baby away from me. You're taking my baby away from me. You have no heart. This is so wrong. Just give her a second. Can you give her a second? Don't make it seem like I'm crazy, not. okay? Yeah, we support. This is normal. You, I know you have children. Sarah. This is my baby. You may not have babies, but. I carried my baby for nine this months. Is, this is normal. You don't care. Yes, I do. Put the please. You don't care. Which would you like to put the You could have talked. No, I don't. I want my baby. My baby is healthy and happy. My baby is breastfeeding from me. Are you gonna? What are you gonna give my baby? Please put the baby in the car seat. Can you just give it a second? We gonna cooperate, but don't don't be a human before anything. We know you're doing your job, but you have some empathy. Oh my God! Y'all done took our son. Now you taking our daughter. You understand that, right? It'd be something wrong with us if we didn't respond. Oh, baby. Oh, my God. I have to hold it together, right? I'll hold it together. I'm strong. Y'all know what y'all doing wrong. It's your job, but it's still wrong morally and ethically. That's our attorney. Ma'am, that's our Mother, attorney. You're traumatizing my baby. My baby's gonna cry. I don't even want my baby you have out bag. like this. I do. Can I see the pacifier? All you had to do was call the attorney. We have all the paperwork. You guys have created so much trauma. You just expect me to just come outside and be like, hi guys, you're my friends. Have you're not this, my friends. Have you all put this much energy into a family that has no this criminal background? This is unnecessary. You know how much I've done for this county? I have the key to this city. I have the key to this city and Sarasota. I've done nothing but help this county. This Manage the sheriff county yeah, office. I did an anti-bullying program for you guys. Here, here, here. You guys, can I sit Sarah, with my baby and go with you? No, I'm not a danger. I'm not a danger to my baby.
Yeah, both both of those those clips were, were very hard to cut, but um, for different reasons. Uh, the first one is just gut wrenching that uh, the poor mother's in that situation. The second one is even. It really leaves a bad taste in my mouth because I just really can't understand how they could be so calm. You know, I mean, because <laughs> yeah, um, but yes, yeah, so that, that means let me not get too uh, into personal commentary. But what I do want to do is uh, bring in our first guest uh, who can uh, help our mothers and fathers, uh, so we never have to experience what we just heard on those clips. Our first guest today. On the Sovereign Creed show is going to be Naisha Sebi Haloum. Naisha is a holistic doula based in the DMV. She specializes in home births and birth centers for Aboriginal American women, along with laboring without westernized medicine and lactation. Uh, my wife and I plan to start birth planning for baby number two next year, so we're extremely excited to uh, speak with her today. Without further ado, please give a warm welcome to Naisha Sebi. Hello. Peace, goddess. Peace, peace, peace. How are you today? Oh, man, I'm doing amazing. I can't wait to uh, have this discussion. I appreciate you uh, accepting the invitation. For the members of the audience who aren't familiar with what a doula does, could you please explain what you do specifically as it relates to the birth process? And could you also explain why melanated mothers should consider holistic home birth as opposed to traditional hospital delivery? Yes. Okay. So a doula is a person, simply a woman, who provides physical, emotional, spiritual support to a family that is expecting um, the mom, the partner, um, and the surrounding siblings, if there are any siblings. And why it's important for melanated women to have a doula. Um, I would say for those same reasons, for first-time moms, this could be a new thing that's going on if they want to birth in a different way that their family members didn't. Um, breastfeeding within itself, you need support, so the, the doula can provide that support. Um, working with adjusting the siblings, going from being the only child to the um I mean, there being another baby in the household, the early, late night in the very beginning for those first six weeks, the sleep deprivation. It's just so many things that you have to go through in adjusting that the doula is there to help and lead you and guide you the whole way. Um, also making sure that you're as informed as possible. We can do as much research as we, you know, we can research and research and research, but having an extra mind that is filled with a lot of knowledge is always a plus as it relates to birthing, um, birthing, postpartum, and just adjusting overall. Excellent, excellent. What inspired you to become a dude? Okay, so what inspired me to become a doula? <laughs> So, as most people on here know, I have a daughter who you'll probably hear in the background. Um, she's what originally inspired me to become a doula. So, I'll share a quick little story. We had planned for a home birth, but my midwife ended up having us transfer to the hospital. 
And with that, I did a lot of research prior to planning the pregnancy and everything else. But um, my experience in the hospital really showed me that I need to be providing support to a lot of other women and their families just because I was able to stand my ground due to the knowledge. Say hey to the people. <laughs> I was able to stand my ground due to the knowledge that I researched. But I know a lot of women, they get overwhelmed. They just don't know where to look for. Um, and then a lot of other people in their family may have their feedback on how they want to birth. So I wanted to become a doula based on that. But the experience that I had was I stood my ground as far as like declining the vitamin K shot. Wait, can you hear me? Yeah, we lost you for a second, but uh, continue, nice. Okay, so I stood my ground as far as the client. <laughs> I stood my ground as far as the client the vitamin K shot, the Hep B shot, the eye ointment, um, and then they sent several different people in harassing me. Oh, we've never had anyone decline this. Are you sure? And of course, me being me, knowing what I've researched, um, and then, of course, with the recent news, with them medically kidnapping um, melanated women's um, babies, I moved strategically in those spaces. So I just was like, yeah, I'm sure I went into the crime, but I'll just have her pediatrician administer everything later on, which is a lie. I was never going to inject my child with that. But, you know, you have to be very strategic moving in these spaces. So knowing all that I know and my experience with the hospital trying to harass me and fearmonger me into things that I knew I didn't want to do for my child is what led me to become a doula. I want other people to be as informed as I am, if not more. I'm glad you said that because I was actually going to lead into my next question. Now. So for the past year, we've all seen the videos like the one we I just played in the intro, but what can we do to keep our mothers out of these unfortunate situations? Like, how do we get them the information so they can feel comfortable enough so they don't simply just rely on the traditional way of giving birth? So with that, um, I try to disseminate a lot of information via my Instagram, the exquisite doula. Um, I try to make sure I touch base with a lot of pregnant women. A lot of people send their pregnant friends to my um, page and have them reach out to me. So that's another way that I try to make sure that they're informed. And then just staying out of the hospital to be transparent. Um, if you don't step foot into their places of power and where they dominate and they dictate, um, you can't really be touched by them in that aspect of them, um, you know, trying to medically kidnap and um, control the birthing, control birth overall, which should just be led by the baby and the mom over, um, in a sense. Awesome. Um, how would you handle, uh, say, a, like a parent or a, um, uh, a, a, a guard, uh, not guardian, but a, a partner, or maybe even a grandparent who is unsupport, unsupportive of the mother's uh, holistic home birth aspirations? <laughs> um, so with that. I'll say, like my bro, um, Simi always says, was on this call, it comes down to minding your household. What I mean by that is 
there should be an understanding as far as the woman, her husband, um, those in the household understand how they operate, the principles they're grounded upon, and any outside sources that feel that that isn't how they should be operating. You kind of just got to put them in their place respectfully, as long as they um, as long as they stay respectful, put them in their place respectfully. But like as I always say, if you got to get gangsta on them, you kind of just got to say what you need to say and let it be known that this is what we choose to do. Um, this is how we're going to operate. And we did our research. We're very informed. But this is what we choose to do. Too. So one thing that I faced was um, a few cousins here and there. As I said, we planned for home birth. They were saying, oh, well, I don't really believe in that. Um, you know, just, you know, this negative commentary. And I just like, I appreciate your concern, but I'm rooted in the knowledge that I needed to have in order to make this decision for me and my family. So I would appreciate it if you keep any negative commentary to yourself because it's not needed for the space that we're trying to create, which is based on positivity. That part. Um, for those of the people in the audience who is the first time joining us, I just want to let you know the first uh, portion of the show, we're going to be conducting the interviews and we'll open up for a Q&A. And then uh, once we've uh, interviewed both guests and completed both Q&As, we will have an open dialogue for all the members of the audience to come up and uh, discuss whatever uh, topic related to the subject that we're diving into or whatever you'd like to add. Um, so I just want to make that clear so no one... Uh, is trying to raise their hand before we uh, get to that portion of the show. So just hold your questions, write them down if you need to, and uh, we will make sure that uh, your questions are, are answered. Um, next question, Naisha. Thank you so much. Uh, what advice What advice would you give to a mother coming off a C-section for her first pregnancy? Is holistic home birth an option for her second child? Uh, westernized doctors love to push the ideology that once you've had one C-section, then you have to repeat the process for other children. What do you say to that philosophy? Okay, so to tackle the first part of that question, advice to give a mom coming off of a C-section. Um, I would tell her to take it easy. I would see about how she has support as far as the, the household. She really shouldn't be moving around much. Um, of course, like standing up, using the restroom, things of that nature, but a C-section, the way the scar is going to be set up and the way that that pain comes um, from the scar tissue that will be built up there, um, she really, she's really going to need extra support, even by just squatting down, using the restroom and things of that nature. She's probably going to need a support system. So I would just um, emphasize that she has that support system. I will also emphasize that when things don't go as planned during birth, um, we tend to beat ourselves up. I would emphasize that it's not her fault. Um, I would also want to know the reasoning that they gave her as to why they did the C-section. Because nine times out of ten, the C-section was unnecessary, and they fear-mongered her, or they are the reasons why she ended up getting the C-section. So touch on that a little bit further. When you're laboring on your back, you're basically suffocating the, um, you're suffocating the blood flow which tends to lead to why the heart rate drops, the baby's heart rate drops. So if you're laboring on your back, you're not even supposed to sleep on your back after after the first stage, first trimester of pregnancy. So that's first and foremost. So that could be a reason why they're like, oh, well, baby's heart rate is dropping. We have to do a C-section. Um, 
And then remind me of the second half of that question, please. Uh, the, the second half of the of the question uh, was uh, yes. Let's say the you know Westernized doctors uh, love to push the ideology that once you've had one C section, you have to repeat the process for your next child. What do you say to that philosophy? Okay, so for lack of better words, I would say that that philosophy is full of a lot of BS. Um, and then to expand upon that. You can have a VBAC, um, vaginal birth after, after cesarean is what the acronym VBAC stands for. It boils down to making sure that you're educated, which as you all have probably picked up is the main thing that you need, that you should focus on is making sure you can have a doula there that can help you to be informed, making sure that you're doing research throughout your pregnancy, um, for that second go around if you've had a cesarean the first time around, um, and then just making sure that you head massage the scar tissue um, so that when it does come down to the birthing process the next time around, you aren't in as much pain. It also boils down to the birthing position. You need to use gravity. I know, I know, you're hungry. Um, you need to use gravity to be able to get the baby out. So one position that I would probably suggest um, would be the hands and knees position. With that position, you're able to use gravity, and it's typically more comfortable than some other positions. Um, you're able to use gravity to help get the baby out. The position, um, making sure that you are aware of what the reasoning was the last time they said that you needed a C-section, and then staying out of their, um, their hospitals, of course. I've seen people have a home birth after cesarean. I hear stories about um, home birth after cesarean, and it definitely is possible. It's just making sure you're aware of what what led to the cesarean last time and how to counteract that would be the positions, and just making sure you're just as informed as possible and you have that support system. Copy that. Um could you give us like a brief rundown of your process from like your initial consultation all the way uh, through the uh, the delivery? Okay. <laughs> so with that, um, I've been having people fill out the questionnaire, which is on my page. Then from there, we'll see if it's a good fit. Um, what I mean by that is your doula, you get pretty close with your doula. You're sharing information or coming into your space. And me, the way I am, I don't allow everyone in my house. I don't allow everyone in my vehicle. So you build a close bond with your doula. So we're getting to know each other throughout the whole entire process. I'm sending information. Um, I'm checking on you, seeing how the household is like. Like I have one client, he vents to me a lot about what's going on because it's not the ideal situation. But I just try to make sure that she stays, you know, stress-free. Um, I try to help in whichever way I can. From there, the consultation, you know, building the bond, the visit, prenatal, um, checking to see if they are utilizing a traditional doctor, if they're utilizing a midwife, making sure we build that bond and connection um, up to the home birth, which I haven't had a home birth yet, but we're planning one. I'm not going to put her out here. We're on, she's on the call, but we're planning one. So with that, um, we would be looking into making sure we have the herbs for after labor, herbs to help with um, breast milk production, herbs for the um, the yoni steam afterwards to help make sure that the 
the bacteria, if there's any, um, doesn't cause an infection. Um, the only seems to get things back into place. Um, the herbs that help with not hemorrhaging, because that's typically what it is if you're bleeding for more than a week or two after birth, even though they claim that you're supposed to bleed for like six to eight weeks or something ridiculous. Um, so just making sure that they're heavily informed about the herbs and everything else. Um, then the birth, of course, like having lactation support there so that the baby can latch. Um, making sure that during those first few weeks they're heavily supported as far as, you know, sleep, sleep um, deprivation, um, the milk production, knowing the difference between colostrum and milk, even though it all is breast milk knowing that you may not be able to get it out with the pump if you do face some latch issues, making sure that they know of the support system. So like here in the DMV, Mama Toto Village, and a lot of other Black-owned businesses um, have a lot of different professionals that support um, the different aspects that we can lean on if we need to. So that would be the overall rundown um, since we are planning a home birth in the future. Awesome. That was, thank you. Great answer. Um, with all the propaganda currently being spread regarding the variant after variant and this variant and that variant, how do you deal with this con- constant state of fear regarding the delivery process, uh, the, you know, the medical professionals trying to uh, pressure parents? Like, like, what do you, what do you say to, to parents out here who are considering transitioning to the uh, holistic home birth but due to fear because of you know propaganda and people in their ear and concerns about COVID and, and the variants like how do you how do you alleviate those concerns so I think fear typically stems from the unknown so for me if I fear something I try to educate myself on that so I would transfer that um, into the answer by saying making sure that they're just they're aware of the real information since there's a lot of propaganda there's a lot of false information there's a lot of fear mongering um, I will make sure that they're informed um, as I've been doing a lot of people haven't really been um, scared of what's going on a lot of people know like what's truly going on but those who don't who have raised any fears or any anxiety towards the situation I just made sure I put the real information out there. Um, as you know, within a tribe, we have the book um, that I've referenced a few times. I've sent it out to a few people who were scared. Um, just making sure they have access to the real information since a lot of it is hidden. A lot of it is um, taken down. A lot of people's accounts are being shadow banned and everything else. So just making sure that they're heavily informed to alleviate those fears and so that they have the real information is what I've been focusing on. Thank you so much, Naisha. Okay, uh, now is going to be time for our uh, Q&A. We have time for uh, three questions. So if we have uh, three members of the audience. Now is the time to raise your hand. If you have a question for Naisha, now would be the time to ask. Everyone, can you all hear me clearly? Mm-hmm. 
can you hear me? Okay, you can hear me? Okay. Um, I sort of don't have a question, more of a comment, uh, because my baby-making days are over. <clears throat> I am a mom of four, and I'm a grandmother of five. But even reflecting back to when I gave birth, uh, my number one and two were cesareans. The reason for my first cesarean, my daughter's birthday, was December 23rd. She was due on Christmas Day. So, with that being said, I basically had a doctor who did not want to be in the hospital delivering a baby on the possibility of Christmas Day. Um, I, they induced me that morning at 6 o'clock. I stayed in labor until they finally did a C-section at 10.02 that night. My second child... Um, I was losing fluid uh, as I was carrying him. So they did a C-section then. So my third child, I had an amazing doctor. He was uh, a black doctor. And from my first initial visit with him, he planted the seed in my mind, you're going to have this baby. You're going to give birth to your baby. You're a good age. You're healthy. There's no reason for you, unless something happens later, you're going to have this baby. And I did. Um, he did give me uh, an epidural just in case something happened during labor. But I gave birth. That was the only child that I gave birth to vaginally. He was my biggest baby, my healthiest baby. My fourth child, I was a little bit older. I was 36. When I got pregnant with him, he was born. My my physician, same mentality. You're gonna have him. You're healthy. You're good. We'll just follow you due to age. I had never gone in labor on my own, so I went into labor and didn't really know I was in labor. However, he was out of town, so the doctor that was on call when we got to the women's center. I, I had, we explained, husband explained, well, she's going to deliver vaginally. That's what we've been preparing for. My husband left to go get my bags, my bags and stuff. When he, by the time he got back, I was prepped for surgery. All they did, put him in a gown, brought him in the operating room, and they were, they were getting ready to cut me. And after he left, the doctor scared me so bad. He immediately came in. Uh, there's a chance that you can hemorrhage during labor. So I'm saying all of this to say, nowadays, I'm 49. I see young women, and they immediately, at four or five months pregnant, say, well, my baby's going to be, they're going to induce me on this day, whatever the situation. But then when I reflect back as being a little girl, I remember seeing women walk around the hospital when they were in labor. They would walk around the hospital. I do not see that at all, but I see more younger women who go with what they're told. They, I mean, they don't say, hey, I'm not trying to induce or anything like that. So I guess I do have a question. When, for me, when I see younger women that, that are pregnant, what, what should I say to them? Because they, they don't hear the concerns that can be done from intentional C-section. They don't think about it on the medical side that this is a business for people. So what 
can I say to my god nieces or god daughters that may become pregnant to enlighten them and get them to understand that there's a natural thing to this giving birth thank you for sharing that um what you can do is i would give them the information not to scare them but to just inform them um i had a different birth outcome when i had a more supportive doctor i then had more information and they can also talk about how you just said that birth is a business to them so having them look into the resources like um the business of birth which one of my sisters had me watch um reading different books just becoming super informed so that they aren't scared of the information but they're aware of it so that if they have to go birth in the hospital or they um are a little bit leery of the home birth because sometimes people are just so based in um fear as it relates to home birth just because they put so much so many things in the media as far as um the hospital is the way to go so this make sure they have that information from your personal experiences because that typically is what um hit home with a lot of people cuz they're like oh that won't happen to me but you being like a aunt um the godmom um and a figure that they respect directly i feel that that would make a big change in a lot of people's lives um if you if you share your experience and then tie it in with hey here's this resource you can read about or here's this resource you can um um yes you can watch on tv which is the the business of birth excellent question denise i appreciate you um uh sheree your question uh peace family um so really really quickly um i'm just going to give you a, a quick minute back story i know they didn't want to speak on my behalf but um i'm jay's wife and uh you know we had a uh, complication pregnancy was great complications with the actual birth at 42 weeks our child um my my water finally broke and we went to the hospital and they tried to induce labor for like 30 hours and it just was not happening so at this point my water's broke for 30 hours and they're like look we have to do a cesarean you're not even i think it took like 12 hours for me to get like up to 3 centimeters dilated Like he just wasn't trying to come out, but they're like, you know, telling me that it could be an infection, and that's another, you know, that's one of the the questions that I want to ask you about when I get to that. Um, but I don't know, you know, if there was another way around that particular situation, um, because I know once they did the cesarean, I was like freaking out, like I couldn't even hold my child, and I know Jay was trying to give him to me. I was like, I'm gonna drop, him. like I'm just, I was hyperventilating and shaking and. and i just passed out and then they had to take me away for a few hours and they told my husband you can't come back here you can't come back here mom can't come back here um we have to take her away we'll bring her back in a few hours so it it was just like i think he had to wait like four or five hours to see me um but he stayed there he didn't leave our child side and so forth that was my only thing like make sure our child's good do not let anybody touch him you know but it was one of those things so i'm wondering how this could have been avoided because we do want to have another child next year. So if I'm in a situation where I'm in a 30-hour labor and this baby's not coming out, you know, if I'm doing a home birth, I can't, you know, there's no cesarean that's going to happen at home. So how best would would you navigate a situation like that during a home birth? Okay, thank you so much. Oh, and, and also, let me give you a quick back story. Uh, 
fibroids. I do have, I did have fibroids. So that might kind of, uh, you know, give you a little more light as to why it may have been harder for him to come out. I had about five really large ones. Um, so that was also an issue, but go ahead. Thank you for sharing this. Um, so with that, the fibroid thing, um, with that being a factor that, that was probably a necessary one. But what I will say is as far as being 42 weeks and them pressuring and then trying to keep your husband away and everything else, that was unnecessary. Um, as far as the 42 week thing, a lot of the times the due dates are estimates as you know, so it could have honestly been a little bit off, um, which could lead to why he wasn't trying to come out. Also, once you leave the comfort of your home, your body knows and the baby is very intelligent, even though they're so young, um, will know, Hey, I'm not in my home space or I'm not in where I was just in. Um, because you go into the hospital, the temperature changes, you hear a lot more different sounds, you hear beeping, you hear strangers, voices that are unfamiliar, because I'm pretty sure he was familiar with your voice, your husband's voice, and whoever else was around you for a majority of your pregnancy. So with that, the hormones in your body can even feel that you're in danger. So the baby will probably be like, okay, mommy, you may be in danger, we're in an unfamiliar space, let me not come at this moment. So that could also have played a factor as to why um, labor was longer and they felt the need to induce or try to induce um, and everything else. So those factors, just knowing about that, um, that could have been a reason why he may not have felt that it was that he was in a safe space, not being at home. Um, as far as what I would do if that were a situation, I would just, that's one thing that I talk about within my um, consultations as far as the history of the birth, um, any health things that are going on. Ideally, the, the plan would be to heal those things, pass the fibroids so that you could be in the most optimal, healthiest um, position to be able to give birth the second time around so that there's nothing blocking. We can go full term. We can um, do the positions to birth vaginally and things of that nature. I feel that that would be the way to circumvent that next time around. Um, does that answer your question? Yes, it does. Thank you so much. No problem, sir. Thank you, Sharif, for a great question. Uh, Nikina, please answer your question, God. Nikina, you have a question? I'm sorry, I'm with the little one. Give me a second. Yes. We'll give Nikina a moment uh, for a question. Uh, we only have time for one more question. Uh, so I'm going to give Nikina a second and I will uh, save, those, save those other questions and we will have an open dialogue. Everyone will have an opportunity to ask their questions with Nikina. Nikina's on the phone, so I'm going to give someone else the floor. Uh, Krishana, go ahead and ask your question. I have a question about um, having a vaginal birth after C-section. Um, do you, like, work with people who do that, like, who want to have a vaginal birth after having a cesarean, or is that something that you think should happen or shouldn't happen? 
Um, so me personally, I haven't had a client who has given birth before yet. But am I opposed to working with someone that wants to do a feedback? No, I'm not. Um, that's part of the reason why I became a doula. I want you all to be as informed as possible. Um, I'm here to help. I'm the support system. If you don't have a support system, I'm here to send you all of the resources and information and to be a resource within myself. So no, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be opposed to working with someone on that. Um, I feel that um, a lot of the times the position as well can help um, for a VBAC. So I gave birth hands and knees. So that would be a position that I would suggest. And then I would be able to walk someone through that as well if they were interested. Does that answer your question? It does. Thank you. You're welcome. Uh, normally, we, we only do three questions, but I'm going to go ahead and uh, give Shanae and Sammy the opportunity to ask the question. We'll start with uh, you, Shanae, and then Sammy. Thank you. Um, it's a really quick question. Uh, what advice would you give to a mom who is fearful of giving birth and being pregnant, especially if she wants to have a home birth or water birth? What would be your advice? to her okay so first the first thing I would do is assess the situation as far as what specifically are the concerns and fears of birth postpartum labor um, all of the things that are fearful to that mom um, I would want to know that and then we would go to address it as far as information so my advice would be there's nothing to be scared of. Um, we're going to get through it. You create the space. You create a mental space of positivity. So for my um, pregnancy, I would also share this with the person. Um, for my pregnancy, I didn't want to hear any negative stories. A lot of people in my family did not breastfeed. I'm almost 11 months in of breastfeeding. So with that, I didn't want to hear, oh, I gave up. I didn't want to hear any horror stories. Um, and it wasn't to say that I didn't want to hear it because I didn't want to be informed. It was just I was creating a space within my mind that I'm going to give birth um, in the way that I want to. I was trying to keep myself in high spirits, not be stressed, not be scared, um, because I had already did all of the research knowing of what could happen. But I told myself what would happen, and I was able to create the birth outcome similar to what I wanted not in a place that I wanted, but I did was able to give birth naturally, vaginally, in the position I wanted to give birth in. Um, so I would share my background story. I would share that information. Why I chose to shelter myself and protect my peace and my boundaries that I put up with people. Um, just to make sure that that doesn't aid in the fear, but it basically kills the fear of the mom. Does that answer your question, Shanae? Yes, it did. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Excellent question, Sinead. And uh, we have uh, time for one more. Cindy, please ask, ask your question, God. Peace, family. Jay, it's actually Jackie, Sydney's wife. Um, I'm going underneath his name. Peace, God. Hi, hi. So I just, um, I know that earlier I just heard a few different things that I just wanted to kind of speak on. Um, and not necessarily just speak to, but just I know that Sister Niaja 
had answered these things. And I just wanted to kind of be an encouraging voice to the women that I did hear kind of voice some of the things about the VBACs and the, um, you know, being in a situation where you're in a hospital environment and being rushed. Um, so one thing with the VBACs, um, I actually had two um, cesarean surgeries um, due to a cyst, um, which is very similar to fibroids. And um, I had them every three years. I was having cyst eruptions um, where I had internal bleeding in my stomach. Um, and so I've been cut both ways down my belly button and fully across my belly from hip to hip. And um, I did have my son here at home, um, water birth, after only two years, I believe, of my last, um, after having my last surgery. So I just want to say that, like, it's possible. It can be done. Um, it requires a lot of work. I mean, birth is mental. So just trusting in myself, trusting in my body. And like Sister Naija said, avoiding that fear, keeping those out of your corner who aren't going to encourage you. Like, it's so critical the mind plays such a huge role in birth that your mental has to be very strong just as much as your body. Um, and so then I was just going to say, as far as like prepping the uterus prior to, you know, when it's time for you to conceive and during, you know, being um, with child, that you have to prep your uterus, you have to prep your body, you have to drink the things and eat the things that's needed to make sure that your body is prepped. Um, and then I was also just going to say, as far as the hospital portion goes, um, when we talk about induction, it's very easy for those to forget that those foreign things that they are giving you to induce um, usually will cause your body to go into shock. Um, things like the Pitocin, it's not natural. So therefore, it causes heart rate escalation, which then allows them to fear monger you and make you feel as though as a mother, you're not making the decision to take care of your child. When generally, if you just give your body time, it will naturally calm down. But if in your mind you have all this fear built up and you're listening to them and they continue to push it, then, of course, your body is going to go into fear of flight because we know that our body naturally does that for us, right? So just keeping in mind those different things and really learning, like Naija said, like really getting the information, whether it's reaching out to a doula, even if you don't need them for the entire time, you know, only at birth, like there's so many different ways that it could be done. But I just felt the need to say that because I know that there's so many women, like we said, who don't have the information. So it's really up to us who are seeking the information to go out and share that information and just continue to keep building on it. And that's all I wanted to say. Thank you, sis. Thank you, sis. If you could, uh, Please uh, share with the members of the audience how they can get in contact or schedule the consultation. Yes. So with that, um, I can be reached. Well, I'm on Instagram, the exquisite doula, T-H-E-E-X-Q-U-I-S-I-C-E, doula, D-O-U-L-A. With um, going to my page, there's a link in my bio. And then we'll fill out the client questionnaire. And then from there, we can have a discussion. Thank you. Thank you, goddess. This is dedicated to all you fact checkers out here getting paid or volunteering to censor the truth. Orwell called you the thought police. I'll just call you institutionalized ignorance in the form of the mainstream news media, the industrial miseducation complex, 
popular culture, eugenics, and technocracy. Who controls the past controls the future. Who controls the present controls the past. Since the truth has set us free, you are no longer in control. That kind of pisses you off, doesn't it? Well, fact check this. Creator of the World Core Curriculum. He said the goal was, quote, to promote growth of the group idea so that group good, group understanding, group interrelations, and group goodwill will lead to group consciousness, unquote. His World Corps curriculum was pushed in America by George Bush Sr. as America 2000, which was renamed by Bill Clinton Goals 2000, which was then given a facelift to become George Bush Jr.'s No Child Left Behind, which was the driving force behind Barack Obama's Common Core. It's all the same thing, Republican or Democrat, progressing down the same road of complete brainwashing. Since John Dewey, the entire focus of education by the elites has been to as quickly as possible move the children to a collectivist mindset. They would have wanted to use all the individual talents and abilities that God had given them. They wanted to do a hundred different things in their life, invent things, start new businesses, change the world. And the elites didn't want any of that, so it had to be destroyed. It's like we're going after Marx's vision and at the same time making it impossible as well because the mind arson necessary to get an amenable voter means that the wealth that you're planning on redistributing is, is, is really gone. You just don't know it yet. Just as I was beginning to dig in, I realized I was making a big mistake. The temptation on all these different issues is to not accept the reality of how things really are. The 10th plank of the Communist Manifesto states, provide a free education by the state for all children and to combine education with industrial production. Bill Gates has teamed up with the United Nations to build the model that will have our school simply be a tax-paid training ground for corporate America. In the end, most of this tracks back to people who would benefit financially from a more government-centric economy because they're at table. They're already political players. They don't want to worry about competition. Not only is competition eliminated, but employees are created. The type that would be content to work 60 or 70 hours a week in a dead-end corporate job that just paid enough to survive. Traditionally, Americans would have had no interest in If you look at how do you change society, well, one of the things you obviously do is you go after the next generation. And you do that through the education system, and that's exactly what has happened to us. The Marxist movement in America has done exactly that. The education system establishes the direction for the future. It sets the hearts and the minds, the perspectives of the next generation. Everybody knows how important it is. They know that if they can get control of our children, and they can pump their ideology into these young, hungry brains, they virtually can have them captive as prisoners for life. And you're doing it all under the banner of being internationally competitive. 
or college ready or career ready. So the euphemisms hide the actual intent. The father of global education, Robert Mueller, was the Assistant Secretary General of the United Nations. And the Moving on to the next segment, uh, we, we just heard the video, uh, the school system is an indoctrination system. Uh, the next guest, we're actually uh, scheduled to interview both Charles and Destiny Burns. Unfortunately, Charles is feeling under the weather. But uh, I definitely want to introduce our, our, our next guest, uh, Destiny uh, she is the mother uh, and partner and wife uh, for uh, one of my favorite couples. Uh, I call them my version of the the, the Brady Bunch enhanced uh, minus the graphic genetics, if you will. <laughs> they are the, pit of, the epitome of what I call the Aboriginal American family or what they should strive to be. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, if you could please welcome Destiny Burns. Peace, goddess. Hey, peace, Can you all hear me? Oh, we can hear you perfectly. Uh, so the, I'm going to reformulate the question because originally this question was directed to Charles, but you can certainly answer it. Uh, with the perception that only mothers typically are the ones, you know, responsible uh, with homeschooling of the children, um, how does Charles uh, take an active role in the curriculum as well? Um, that's a great question. So, um, with my husband, Charles, or Amaru, uh, in the tribe, he is really an integral part of how we school. Um, so, he is in charge of, so most dads, first of all, it's a mycenomer in our community, in the Aboriginal community, that fathers do not uh, engage or participate in the homeschool process. Home educating is literally just that. Whatever fits your home is what you need. So in our home, my husband is in charge of our uh, the Aboriginal medicine. Um, he is over our agriculture or botany. Um, he is also over, um, interestingly enough, he is over kind of the restorative practice, the type of discipline that we that we um, have, or really the correction, if you will, um, for our children. But we both share those responsibilities. Um, and he also is the principal, right? He's the one that uh, looks at me out the, out the corner of his eye when another Amazon package lands on uh, <laughs> lands on our uh, desk. So he, he definitely um, is the provider of, of some of the materials that we use. But he is an integral part of everything that we do in homeschool. That's what I'm talking about, Charles. Since the pandemic began in the spring of 2020, many parents have had to adjust with their children engaged in remote learning. For many parents, that became an issue because they were either unprepared or simply didn't embrace it. What advice would you give to parents who feel that it's more convenient for their, for their children to go to school as opposed to learning at home? <laughs> That's a great question. Um, I say this all the time. For those of us parents, who had or have our children in public school um, and then had to transition, what we realized for the first time was that maybe um, the environment that our children was in wasn't conducive. Um, and I'm not talking about at school. I'm talking about in our home, right? So it is our job to be full-time parents. And many times 
you know, I, I jokingly say to a lot of my homeschool uh, clients, I, you know, I tell them like a lot of times when we send our children to school, um, we are part-time parents. We get them at night and on the weekend. And a lot of people are like, what? And I'm like, well, think about it. Your child, if you send them to another school, rather it's a charter, a private or a public, are, are there eight hours a day? When your child is there eight hours a day, you get them in the afternoon. By the time you get them, you are tired. You want to go home, feed them, and put them in the bed. On the weekend, you're trying to wait until Monday gets here. Don't let it be spring break or winter break because everybody's counting down the days, right? And so the advice that I would give for parents who are even considering homeschooling or thinking about all of these, you know, quote-unquote COVID numbers and the rise in COVID, um, it's inevitable. Your child is going to be exposed to something out there. And so if you're at home, first give each other a break. Um, the reality is you don't have to pull your child straight from the system that they've been in and try to immediately create something because you will get burnt out and they will get burnt out. You want to go through a period called de-schooling. De-schooling essentially means that you and your child both take a break from all things school. And when I say all things school, I'm putting that in quotes because our children are constantly learning. We are really all home educators. If you have a child right now listening to this, or, you know, if you're listening to the podcast later, you, once you have a child, you are immediately a homeschooler. You don't have an option. They are watching everything you do and your actions are teaching them every day. So for those students who are, you know, uh, virtual or whose parents were like, I may send them back to see how it goes. Like give yourself some grace, create an opportunity for your child to be an active participant in their learning. Um, because really we're not doing this for us. We're doing this for them. So ask them, what do you want to learn and how do you want to learn it and go from there? Mm. I love that. Um, so now that they've had a year to experience the process of their children learning at home, what steps should parents take to make this transition a permanent? So first, um, you'll want to, unless you are, you know, a part of a, an indigenous tribe, or even if you are, depending on what, you know, the, the, um, how your tribe is registered, the first thing you want to do is check with your state. The reason I say that is because I want every parent who's listening right now to be able to homeschool, but I want you to do it. We've already heard, you know, our sister Naija spoke beautifully about how people are coming to try to take our children because we have the sauce, right? I tell everybody we are magic. We have the sauce. And so you don't want them to come knocking on your door talking about your child is truant or your child should be enrolled or whatever. So the first thing, until you join a tribe, become nationalized and follow that protocol, the very first thing that you do is you check with your state and figure out the law. So I'm going to give you an example. We currently live in Tennessee. The homeschool laws in Tennessee are very easy. Um, most states are, are, are like that. When you get to California, and when you get to the East Coast, that's where you start to, and Florida, that's where you start to get a little, it's interesting. There are different hoops and loops, but um, you can always reach out to me and I'll be more than happy. But in the state of Tennessee, as well as in the state of Georgia, the requirement is simple. Um, you have to homeschool your child for 180 days. In the state of Tennessee, we have a requirement that it is four hours a day for 180 days. Now, the beautiful thing about that and what most parents say is, I got to work. I have two jobs. I'm a single mom. It's only me. I don't have anyone else. That's okay. When my husband and I first started homeschooling, I homeschooled my children at night and on the weekends. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to set that there and let that resonate. We homeschooled at night and on the weekends. It also amped 
up our hustle to the 10th degree. Because what I realized was I wanted my children to be able to have access to me. Something that they didn't have when I was in school, when I was working full time for someone else, because I had to literally maneuver my schedule and make sure that I wasn't taking too much time off or going to too many programs or doing all these things. So first, check with your state to see what the requirements are. You can usually find that on your Board of Education's website. Again, there are some requirements, some states that are in the Midwest. So those states like um, Oklahoma, Illinois, um, I believe even like Missouri, some of those states, they don't have any requirements at all. You can pull your child whenever you want. You don't have to let anyone know. It just depends. Then you have states like Maryland who you have to keep a homeschool portfolio for your child showing their progress and showing what they're doing. So every state is different. So definitely check with your state. Um, find a tribe. Every state has indigenous people that are homeschooled. We're not new to this. We're true to this, as people say. It's just that you haven't seen us for a while because, honestly, it hasn't been an option for us. Um, but I'll kind of go into that later. But check with your state. Find your tribe. Connect. Change your algorithm. So what you want to be, you want to see. So if you are watching and you're following homeschoolers on Instagram, on Facebook, on YouTube, on TikTok, guess what? It's going to get into your mind subconsciously. You're going to say, I can do this. I can homeschool. Look at that mom. Look at that family over there. Okay, if they can do this, I can do this too. And and the rest is history. You take it one day at a time. You let your children dictate it and let your family schedule dictate your homeschool schedule. Wow. Man, I'm just, I'm just over here just smiling as you're answering these questions. Uh, Destiny, could you please explain how your curriculum differs from that of a traditional public school and how you go about incorporating the history of melanated people that's often overlooked or whitewashed altogether? Absolutely. I was waiting on this question. (laughs) Uh, The reality is it's all about us, right? So my curriculum, the curriculum that we use um, gives me the opportunity to really dig into the learning styles of my children. So for everyone, for, for, for the lack of better words, I want to break it down because I, uh, I do have a background in education. So I want to make sure that when I say this, that we can break it all the way down so that anybody can understand. <clears throat> so there are typically four different types of learning styles. Now, technically, some people will say that there are anywhere from seven to 12 different types. But we really hone in on the four because the seven through 12 are variations of the four. It's visual. It is auditory. It is read, write, and it is kinesthetic. So in my homeschool, we get an opportunity. We have, again, we have 11 children. Currently, we are homeschooling five of them. And every one of them have a blend of a different learning style. So in the public educational system right now, 65% of the students who go to public educational system have to follow the visual, even if they're not visual. So what that essentially means is that the visual, I put something up on the board, I give you a handout, you are the type of student who can look at something, you visualize it, you're a great silent reader to yourself because you can visualize those things in your mind. 65% guys of the classrooms in the American public education system are designed for visual. That means that those auditory students, oh, I'm sorry, and you want to add in those read-write. So read-write students are the students who can read something and they like to write notes. They take meticulous notes. They like to read. They like to use big words. They use the dictionary. They're intrigued with how people speak and they make notes. And you can tell these children because automatically they try, even when they're little, they're trying to organize things. They're great at organization. Those are probably your read-write students. 
they will do well in a public traditional education system. The two left are your auditory, which I have two auditory students. I have two auditory kiddos in my home. Um, I have a slew of kinesthetic. I have uh, a few read, write, and I do have some visuals. So all of them are there. But for my auditory kiddos, those are the kiddos that can hear something. Those are the kiddos that can actually listen to music and watch a video, and they've got it. They have an amazing memory. They can pick up anything that they hear. And those are students or yourself, maybe, that you have to have dialogue in order for something to stick. So myself, I am an auditory learner. I learn by engaging in conversation, by hearing a video, by hearing, uh, by, by uh, watching a video. Or I even, when I had notes in college, I would record my notes and let them play back to myself. I'm an auditory. Most of our schools are not designed for auditory learners. If there is a lecture, students a lot of times cannot uh, respond back, or if they can, they might raise their hand, and obviously their hand may get skipped over, right? These are also the students who read out loud. So you may remember back in school that one guy who had to read out loud, and you were like, if you don't shut up, he was an auditory learner. And if his, and if his mother or if his um, <clears throat> teacher had knew, they would have put him in a corner or they would have given him time to be more auditory. And then... You have our kinesthetic babies. So our kinesthetic babies, I have one. Actually, I have a few kinesthetic babies. Kinesthetic babies' brains don't work unless they're moving. So what that means is I have a, I have a child. Justice is our eight-year-old. And Justice and I have a contract for homeschool. And our homeschool contract says, Mommy, I need science every day. I have to blow up something. And a lot of people are like, wait, what? But what she means is she had in order for it to stick, she has to get that. So essentially what we do in our home is we cater towards our children. Now, does that seem like a lot of work? Yes. But that's where you as a parent have to get to know your child. And unfortunately, we have a lot of parents out here who think they know their children and they probably don't know them as well as they do, especially when it comes to learning styles, when it comes to their cars when it comes to even their earth sign or what, you know, what, what sign they are. And so even when my children were in public, I would go and I would say, Hey, uh, justice is a tourist. She understands what that means. She's, you know, going to be a little cunning. She's very brilliant. She's very smart. And as we're learning cardamancy, justice is a jack of clubs. We have to learn that communication is a part of what she does, but she's also a kinesthetic learner. So understanding that we use indigenous culture and in everything. We teach our children how to plant. We teach them how to harvest. We teach them how to collaborate versus being in competition with one another. Um, and we allow them to be free. And we use a little bit, we mix in a little bit of Montessori, which is just being child-led and allowing the child to kind of tell us how we want them to be educated versus us force-feeding what we think they need to know. Wow. Oh, my goodness. This is, this is, this, this is some good stuff, man. Um, I got to kind of shift the conversation a little bit. I got to kind of put you on the spot because you and your husband have an amazing story. And we, we, I, we'd be remiss if we didn't tell it. Could you please explain to the audience how your beautiful family is cultivated? Absolutely. So um, my husband and I are, I say we are the real life yours, mine and ours. So I don't say stepchildren. I say bonus children because I believe when I marry him, they were all bonuses to me. Um, they were just extensions of myself. So I had one child uh, in college. That's Janelle. She's 13. My husband had three sets of twins. 
I always give the dramatic pause there because usually people are like, what? Three sets of twins? That's what we get. Like, it's a three sets of twins. So, yes, he had three sets of twins. Uh, that is, we have a set that's girls. They are 13. They will be 14 in September. We have a set that's boys. They just turned 13. They turned 13 in July. And we have a set that is boy-girl. Um, and they just turned 12 in June. So the way that it goes, and then I have four singles. We have four that we had together in our union. So in total, that's 11. That makes our family size 13. So the way it goes is we have two 13-year-olds, and my daughter falls into that 13-year-old mix. We have two more 13-year-old boys, a set that's 12, and then we have a 9-year-old, an 8-year-old, a 6-year-old, and a 2-year-old. So we have a great blended um, a great blended, blended mix, um, and they all live in the household with us. And so my husband is a custodial parent for all the twins. It was not always like that. And so if you guys want to, if there are some fathers in the uh, audience who want to talk about what, do you, what does it take to be more active in your children's lives if they're not there primarily, um, or if you're having quote-unquote baby mama drama, and I hate to say that, but that is what a lot of people know it as. That's the colloquialism. I, I implore you to reach out to him because we have been through everything and we persevered and we do have custody of all of the children in our home. And it's a beautiful thing to see an Aboriginal um, a dad, an Indigenous dad, to actually get to do what it is that he was called and created to do. So that is our family. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I asked the question. I, was, I wasn't even ready. So I was like, wow, that is that is amazing. Um, how old does it? Well, you kind of touched on this earlier, but so I guess I have to recalibrate the question. Um, not necessarily how old does a child have to be, but what um, what what type of milestones should we see in our children once we know that they're ready to start engaging in like. Uh, like full blown, just this curriculum, like, you know, that hopefully that's a good question. You could yeah. So I, I understand. So, um, it's kind of an interesting answer because it depends on your child. So I'll give the example of my four. So I have a three year old right now that we do homeschooling with, but it is very Montessori. It is very hands-on. She has a lot of sensory activities. Sensory activities are those activities that you might see when you're scrolling or target is usually the best for this. It's those, um, activities that have the sand and the letters or it's the, um, the miniature uh, cleaning uh, supplies or it's the, um, the, the the beans in a bin where you have different manipulatives. That is sensory. So right now, our three-year-old does a lot of sensory activities. Um, our six-year-old, we are allowing him to just kind of be free. He's our auditory learner. So literally, I could put him on the phone right now and he could tell you every dinosaur from every period, he can also break down lizards, salamanders, iguanas. And so that is, he led us. So when he started spouting off those things to us, and I remember, I'll never forget, he told me one day, he was like, mommy, the, you know, this is a titanoboa. And I was like, yeah, right. There's no such thing as a titanoboa. That doesn't even sound like a real thing. And he's like, it is. This is a titanoboa. And it does the da-da-da-da-da. And it's extinct. And he broke it down to me. He had to be four. So I Googled it because I was like, yeah, right. There's this no such thing as a Titanoboa. And I, I had to give him his props. He told me every piece of information about the Titanoboa and all he had been doing was searching on our uh, our tablet. He would say, hey, Google, 
uh, look up the Titanoboa. And literally, he would watch videos on the Titanoboa. So I say that to say every child is different. And that is where we as parents have to do our part to really learn our children. Uh, unfortunately, I believe that the public education system really tries to throw children into the fire. They want them to learn and do all these things. And sometimes mentally their mind is not prepared to do all that. Now, my caveat is we have a godson and my baby and my baby can read. And he's been reading since two. His name is Kingston. He has a book publishing company. Um, his mom was actually in the audience. So I, I am going to give a shout out to them. It's called King's Kid Publishing. He writes books about autistic children. Um, He's been reading since two, and I don't mean reading the cat sat down. Mm -mm. I mean, bro can look at a paper and say, he, he can tell you every book of the Bible. He can tell you all the states and their capitals, and he can read. And so his mom started homeschooling him when he was a baby. She started doing flashcards, and she started being intentional about what she was playing in the background when he was learning or when he was just being a baby. So she would play um, uh academic or educational videos on YouTube while he was a baby and she was doing flashcards with him while she was a baby, just going over the flashcards. And by two years old, Kingston was reading like full grown books. And to this day, he can still do it. Kingston is also an auditory learner. I feel, I'm pretty sure he is. Um, but to answer your question, every child is different. As parents, we just have to take the time to learn our children. Um, so some of them may start at three. Some of the milestones could be walking and talking, but some of them can start as early as in the womb. If you read to a child, there are all different studies of you reading and you talking to children. When they come out, they'll be verbal. And so you just have to really um, remember that we as indigenous people are birthing gods and goddesses. So just let that rest for a while. We are birthing supernatural beings. I always tell my husband, I love watching the X-Men or I love watching like those superhero shows because that's us. That's our children and the melanin sets us apart. So we have to remember that. So our babies can read at, at young ages or you wait until they show you the signs that they're ready and then you follow them. It takes a little bit of time, but it can be done. So hopefully I answered that question appropriately. Did an excellent job answering that question, sis. Thank you so much. Obviously, you you, you know I want to know with my 19-month-year-old 19, 19 and all the things that he does to amaze me and his mother every day. So I'm definitely going to be consulting with you uh, regarding uh, this information. Um, last question that I have for you before we open it up for Q&A is, uh, do you have plans to um, build like a cooperative homeschool situation or is it this, or is uh, pretty much the curriculum that you would uh, recommend with consulting, is that gonna just primarily be like a remote learning situation? So it's, it's kind of, uh, it's and or, if you will. So my, my ultimate goal is to have um, a boarding school, if you will, <laughs> for our children. Um, specifically for our children whose parents really may not be able to do it, right? And so the goal would be to have a brick and mortar um, that is under our, our tribe. So ARNA, the Aboriginal Republic of North America, um, similar to other uh, quote-unquote native tribes. Uh, within this country, they have their own school board, they have their own schools, they have their own colleges. And so we being indigenous people, the chi of this land 
we can have that as well. And so that is being established. And so that is, that's like an overarching goal, maybe within, you know, uh, we'll say three to five years. In the meantime, low hanging fruit is making sure that I can coach parents, um, coach caregivers um, to, uh, <laughs> um, coaching uh, parents and caregivers um, to doing it by themselves. And so that is what I do right now is it is consultative. Um, but I also am in the process of getting a tutorial together. Um, and really not only me, but teaching other parents how to do it because believe it or not, there are so many parents, if they had the option to homeschool, to home educate, they would do it. It was never an option for us. It's similar to how our sister Niaja was speaking about breastfeeding. Breastfeeding wasn't an option for us, right? Originally, the option was, girl, you better have that baby. You better get back to work and you better do all the things that the quote unquote black mom does. She got to go out. She got to get it right. And so more and more of our sisters are, are breastfeeding. They're choosing to nourish their children with what naturally comes out of our body. Right. It takes a little bit of time. It takes a little bit more effort, but we're doing it. So the same as homeschool. You can homeschool. And if you have a cousin that wants to homeschool and your and your niece or your nephew, we actually saw it in the, in the European community last year. So they would call them educational pods. So what was happening is schools were closing, kids were having to do virtual and parents would say, Hey, okay, uh, little Timmy, little Bobby, little Sally, they can come to my house on Monday and Wednesday. And then somebody else would say, okay, I'll take them Tuesdays. And someone else would say, I'll take them uh, Thursday and Friday. And before you know it, essentially that community of people have started their own co-op. Easiest time. We can do that too. So look at your circle of friends and say, okay, y'all, we know we want to homeschool. We know we don't want to send our children to this. So how can we do it? And the how, the how can we do it is just that. You figure out who in your circle can take what days. You come up with the curriculum, and I can definitely assist you with that. My husband, Amaru, can assist the fathers and where they can take place and, and being creative about the resources that you have in your tribe or your community. And we can come up with a viable plan. And guess what? If that plan doesn't work, switch it. That's the beauty of homeschool. If your children, if you pick something and your children are like, mm, yeah, I'm not feeling that, change it. <laughs> Who's saying that you can't? These are your children and you know what we need. We as a tribe have to identify what do we need to build that legacy and to be successful because it's not about us. It's about 100 years from now. I want to know that all of us were able to home educate so that in 100 years when I'm gone, they will still be doing it because we pulled them out of a system that wasn't created for them and built them up to be who and what it is they can be. So hopefully that helps. But uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yes. You, you, you definitely answered the question. Uh, so now I'm going to open it up for a Q&A. I have time for three questions. If uh, by chance your, your uh, question doesn't get answered, not to worry. We're, uh, the next segment is going to be an open dialogue. We're going to invite everyone in the audience who wants to speak here. Say your piece, whether it's on holistic home birth, whether it's on homeschool, whether it's a question, or whether it's just something that you have to get off your chest. We're going to get to that next segment. But if you have a specific question right now for Destiny, please raise your hand and I'll bring you up. Right. And Iris, please go ahead with your question. Yes. Can you hear me? Yes. Okay, so unlike probably most of the queens and the kings here, I have a 16-year-old uh, boy. 
Um, and he's in a traditional public school. Um, from kindergarten to fifth grade, he was in a little small private Christian-based school. Of course, I even learned better from there. <laughs> um, but, and of course, I've you know, with the space that I'm in now, the new knowledge of self and being a part of the tribe and all of that, you know, it's, it's, it's tough because you're like, now he's been indoctrinated in that system and he's social and he's into sports and all of these things. But it's, it's constantly in my head about which route to take. So what I have done is while he's still in that traditional educational model, I've got him reading books, one of Anthony Browder's books now. So I'm, you know, getting him to learn and understand who he is, you know. Um, but I wanted to ask, I guess, Destiny or anyone else, um, I guess, what suggestion? Um, and I guess ideas or advice i mean if he's if, if i'm able to homeschool or even if i'm not able to pull them out what what things or what ideas or suggestions can you give for moving forward since he is already a, a essentially a junior <laughs> um but yeah i'm just open for anything that anybody can just give me and i'm in mississippi destiny i don't know how far or where you are in Tennessee, but I'm in North Mississippi. Awesome. So first of all, thank you sir, for um, just contributing to the space. So second of all, it's never too late to homeschool. I always tell people that it's never too late. If they're a senior, you can pull them out <laughs> um, because any little bit helps. Um, the next thing that I would suggest um, in terms of homeschooling is um or just or, or home educating. So we'll say home educating to me what you're doing right now. You're having him read, you know, uh, Brother Browder's books, and that's a great start. Ask him what does he want to do. So the great thing about 16-year-olds, and really I would say the great thing about students who are about, well, let's just say 13 and 14 and up, is by this time they've kind of they've got they've narrowed down in their head what they want to do, or they're open for it. So around the the, the grades of and, and I hate using grades because in homeschool grades are in flux, right? And what that essentially means is who created the grades, who created the test, and why, right? Um, all, all of our children are attached to a dollar sign, so it's really kind of bureaucratic that grades uh, even exist. And I mean grades as in ABCs as well as grades as in fifth grade, sixth grade, seventh grade, like they're all in flux. I have a, I have a child right now. She's nine and she's, you know, reading on the eighth or ninth grade level, right? Like if she was in a traditional school and when she was her teacher, you know, flat foot, 10 toes down told me, well, Hey, you know, she was reading at this level and she could have kept going, but nobody else in her class is on a higher level than that. So I just stopped her. Right. So I was like, Oh yeah, that's not going to work. Uh, so for your child, ask him what he wants to do. Ask him if he wants to go to college. And the reason I say that is because a lot of times as parents, specifically indigenous parents who were raised, you know, in the black community, we were told we have to go to college. We have to get a degree. But guess what? If he doesn't want to do that, I know plumbers that make more money than my two little flimsy pieces of paper ever would. Um, and we need plumbers. <laughs> we need electricians. We need all those things. So first ask him, what do you want to do? And if he, in many states, um, and I believe Mississippi should be like this, Iris, but I can definitely get with you offline to, to double check your homeschool laws. Um, but um, 
in the state of Mississippi, I know in the state of Tennessee, at the age of 16, students can start getting their barber and cosmetology license. So imagine if he's like, hey, you know, I want to do X, Y, Z, check into your state. Because a lot of times it's at 15 or 16 that these students can start getting these, these trade uh, certificates. And if they are, <laughs> then, and he says, mom, you know what? I don't really want to go to college. I want to do XXX. Then you could say, okay, well, son, I can home educate you. And I'm going to find you somebody in our tribe or in our village that does this. Then you've created a co-opportunity for him. You've created an internship opportunity for him. And then you push him into entrepreneurship because we all know that entrepreneurship is really the way to go for many, many of the people in our culture, even if it's a side hustle, two side hustles, like entrepreneurship is the way to go. And we have to teach our children these things, start teaching him financial literacy and start making sure that you're getting, if he's not already sister, uh, queen, uh, getting him around some men who can pour into him. Um, because we have, I know in Arna, um, our, our chief recently just, you know, we, we updated our, our, our protocol and there's a rite of passage in there. Our young brothers and sisters are missing that that which they would get from a tribe of rites of passage, how to become wives, how to become husbands, how to be members of the society. They don't get that in the quote unquote traditional uh, African-American community. And so all of those things you can incorporate as a 16 year old. So it's not too late. It's not late at all. As a matter of fact, if you pull him now, he'd probably be graduated by the end of the year. Uh, a lot of the school, a lot of the classes they take in traditional high school is plus. So he can literally come out. You can home educate him. You can, you can pack his, um, his quote unquote schedule and he can graduate by the end of the year and have a, a year or two to play around with before he side, decides what he wants to do. So the, the, the benefits are numerous for, for home educating your child. I mean, I'll just put this, think about all those students that we see who are 14 and 15 and graduating from high school. How do you think they're doing it? They're doing it because their parents know how to work the system or most of them are homeschooled or home educated or knew how to tap into the local. So if he's 16, he should be able to be eligible to take classes at your local college that would at least knock off two years worth of college for him, which for those of us who went to school and wasted a lot of that money <laughs> or, or got into debt that we shouldn't have had to, uh, he can go in as a junior in college, graduate in two years and be on with his life. So, you know, th there are definitely options, but I can, I can work with you offline. Or if you have more questions, you know, please just, uh, email me or, or DM me, but I, I'd love to help you transition him if that's truly what he wants to do with that. Awesome. Uh, Pete Goddess, Denise, uh, we got time for two more questions. If you already had opportunities, I want to give the two uh, ladies, Andrea and Latia, but I want you to write your question down. Don't forget it because after this segment, we're going to have an open dialogue. So you'll have an opportunity to either ask your question or uh, provide whatever uh, comment uh, that you would like. And then I see you, Balam. I want to give you an opportunity to just hold that thought for the next segment. I got to get to Andrea and late sister Latia. And then we're going to move on to the open dialogue. Everyone will get an opportunity to speak. Uh, just bear with us. Andrea, ask your question, Goddess. Hi, everyone. How are you? Um, so I am a mother of four. And ages range from eight. Oh, this, I'm sorry. This question is for Miss uh, Destiny. The ages are eight, six, four, and one and a half. One second. Let me... Yes. Okay, give me one second. Yeah, Hold your finger. Yes. Okay, can you give me one second? It went up. Okay, one second, okay? Let mommy finish talking, okay? I'm sorry. Um, so you I... You do not have to apologize, sis. It is okay. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so we've actually been, I guess, not knowing, but de-schooling for the past year. Um, 
during that the whole quote unquote pandemic, I was pregnant. Um, so it was already a lot going on in regards to that pregnancy and trying to homeschool. So I said, you know what? I'm just we're just gonna sit this out and revisit this once things get more um, under control, more so just for our household. So now I'm to the point where I'm ready to start homeschooling and I just don't know where to start because of the age differences. Um, and that's where I wanted to ask Ms. Destiny, like where, what would you recommend where I would start? I've heard you say like to see what they like to do or what they feel as though they want to learn. Um, but who do I focus on more? Should I focus on my eight year old? Should I focus on the eight and six year old? So that's, that's more so my question. Great. Thank you so much, Miss Andrew. Great question. And I was actually, as you were naming off all the ages, I was like, yes, she's in my ballpark. I got all those ages. Almost, almost. Not the one and a half year old. But so, great question. Um, Montessori, and that is a method. So there are, let me back up. There are plenty of different homeschool methods, right? I could, we could take a whole segment on the different ways to home educate your child. There's Montessori, there's Eclectic, there's Car Schooling, there's Dame Schooling, there's Charlotte Mason. There's, uh, you know, there's so many different quote-unquote ways um, to homeschool. So that's a totally different segment that, you know, we can talk about and we can also talk offline about that. Um, so what I will say is in, in our community, um, it is very important that we remember that in the tribe, everybody learns from everybody in the tribe. So you have an eight-year-old, you have a six-year-old, and then you have two little Think about all of the subjects that you can teach together. So this has helped me tremendously, okay? So because there's only a few, quote unquote, a few uh, subjects that you have to differentiate. Differentiate, for those who may not know, just means to you have to kind of make a difference in how you're teaching them based on people's ages. So you can teach history together. You can teach science. Together, children love science because it's hands-on. History may not be as exciting, but there's so many ways that you can create games and you can create timelines and puzzles. And our children learn through that. So history, science, um, even reading. A lot of times, you can teach together as you do read aloud because all of our children learn wonderfully when you read to them. So, as parents, caveat: if you're not reading out loud to your children once a day. I encourage you to pick up a book and read one to two pages of that book every day. Read out loud to them because our children hear and learn how to read from hearing us uh, read. So what I would suggest is um, with your eight-year-old, really have a conversation with him or her to find out what they like. And you probably already know because you've had a whole year to be school based off of that. The first thing I suggest, obviously, make sure that you're in compliance with your state laws. I've said that before. The next thing, get a library card. That, a library card will save you because a lot of our local library systems have so many programs that they offer for free during the day. They have online um, e-books that are free. So get a library card. And based on, and I will actually, sis, if you inbox me, I have a template that is a guide um, it's something that I fill out with my children and essentially what it does is it gives them like a, these are the three top things I want to learn. And you can spend about three months on each topic. And for the eight year old, make sure that you're, you know, that there's a lot of, uh, going to the park, especially with your littles and your six year old, our children still learn by playing, take them to the park, take them on hikes, 
make sure that they're meditating and essentially have your child come up with their schedule. So you may say, okay, honey, like for us, our children know they have a morning routine in the morning. That morning routine includes, you know, obviously all the hygiene things. It also includes fixing their own breakfast. That is a part of our homeschool. Fixing their own breakfast, (laughs) washing their clothes is a part of our homeschool. Our nine-year-old helps me grocery shop. She helps me make our grocery list. All of those things are a part of our homeschool curriculum. Um, On top of, you know, when, when you talk about math, we do math every day. Show your child your check. Hey, this is how much we have. This is how much we have to pay bills. Let's add this up. What do we have left? This is how much we have to grocery shop. Hey, um, you know, uh, king, queen, prince, princess, help mommy make the grocery list and let's see if we can stay within this dollar amount. Make it a game. At this age, for the children that you have, if you, there's something called game schooling. Game schooling is essentially them learning through playing games. That is going to be your best bet because you have so many kiddos, they'll start picking it up through the games. So between the games, the reading, and then your eight-year-old kind of crafting a schedule for um, himself or herself, you'll, before you know it, you'll have a, a, a beautiful process going and don't be afraid if something changes. If something changes or you picked, you know, a book or you picked a, a something that they don't like, uh, get, get rid of it. <laughs> you don't realize how many times since I have changed curriculums. We have changed. I have put down a book in the middle because I saw my kids face out and I was like, yeah, this isn't it. And I've gotten rid of it. And so don't be afraid to change. You have that autonomy because you are a homeschooler. Thank you, Destiny. I have one more question. Uh, uh, Peace Goddess, uh, hopefully I'm pronouncing your name correctly. Is it Latia? It's Latia. I'm actually not going, I don't have a question. I am part of um, Destiny's tribe. (laughs) So I am going to jump in on the next conversation because I have so much more to add to Destiny's experience as well as I am also a homeschool mom as well. Awesome. Copy that. Well, I appreciate that. One more question uh, for the audience. Denise, did you have a question or are you you waiting for the next segment as well? Okay. All right. I guess that concludes our Q&A. So, um, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I I had walked away from the phone. I too am, well, I'm actually one of Destiny's biggest fans, but I'm like, Latia, I will wait till the next segment because I do have some things that I would like to add as well. For the ex- for, for the athletes that are within the homeschool stuff, because I love athletics. Awesome. Well, I look forward to uh, hearing that commentary. Uh, we are going. Oh, so before we move along, uh, Destiny, for the members of the audience who don't know you personally, could you please uh, give them your your best contact information and how they can schedule a consultation. Absolutely. And before I do that, I have to apologize to our sister Iris. You did ask a question about sports. Denise is going to get through it. She's a phenomenal uh, basketball coach, but your son can still play sports if he homeschools. So parents, listen to this. By law, your local school district can uh, give your child a tryout. Now, it's not a shoe-in, but he can, he or she can still try out for your local sports team. There are also a lot of homeschool travel ball teams as well. You just have to check within your state. Um, so I apologize, Ms. Iris, because I know that was something you asked. And then for my contact information, um, I always tell people you can slide into my DMs. That is the best way to get a hold of me. It's to slide into the DMs. So um, on Instagram, I am Destiny. So that is D-E-S-T-I-N-I 
underscore Burns, B-U-R-N-S, Tribe, T-R-I-B-E 11. Um, it's also in my clubhouse profile. I tried to make sure that it was updated. So if you slide into my DMs, uh, I do have a consultation form that you can fill out if that's what you want. Um, and we can definitely work something out. So again, um, it is destiny underscore burns tribe 11, um, on Instagram. And that was, uh, job bricks, uh, 10 feathers up, uh, for those of you not familiar with him, definitely check him out on iTunes. And now we have the moment that a lot of people in the audience have been waiting for. This is the, uh, open dialogue so everyone who has a question if you have anything that you want to say get off your chest you have a question to comment go ahead and raise your hand i will make sure that everyone who wants to speak will have an opportunity so uh uh raise your hand we'll get you up and in the meantime between time uh, i believe uh we had uh sister latia hi thank you guys for um having me on this platform tonight destiny spoke <laughs> articulated all that i was over here like amen everything she was saying um but i started um from i'm, I'm new to homeschooling myself and because of destiny um i am a successful homeschool mom officially oh i'll say a successful homeschool working mom <laughs> let's say that let's be very clear um i work full-time as a full-time mom and i also run three businesses so and when she talks about, you know, that we, you know, as black women or as families, black families or indigenous people that we, you know, didn't know that we could do this thing. I didn't either. But I've always in my heart wanted to do this thing. Um, I've been my, my children's first teacher um, since they've been born. And I've been basically teaching since they've been born. So it was nice to know to have this position and role to be able to actually live out my dream of wanting to be a homeschool mom. Um and the only reason I end up running into this homeschool thing, what's funny is that I love to hear that Destiny talks about her husband because our husband play a very intricate role in the homeschool life um, as well as me. My husband actually introduced homeschooling to me um, about a few years ago, way before the pandemic. And I looked at him like he was crazy. I was like, there's no way that I can homeschool and work full time. Like, you know, there, you know, I got to work, you know, so um, how it came about for me, and I'm going to try to keep it short, um, during the pandemic, um, the kids were taken out. Last year was um, March when the kids was basically removed from school and had to immediately start homeschooling from home and basically virtually learning from home. And I happened to have a job where I would have to be home. I could work from home with them. So our job sent us home. And I worked full-time on a phone call. I'm a therapist by, um, by trade, but not by trade, but by school education and went to college and all that. <laughs> so, uh, I am a therapist. So I work with people who have severe mental illnesses and drug and alcohol addiction. So I went from working in the office to working from home and they had to transition from the school to virtual learning. And the struggle was real. Um, I still work my full-time job. I still <laughs> did my t-shirt business and braiding hair. All of those things were still happening for me. Um, of course, I cut back because of the pandemic and things was happening. And I saw the struggle, how my kids were struggling in school during virtual. And I was like, I am doing this. And I helped, you know, I've pretty much been home with them the entire time. And until they actually 
school ended while they virtually learned. And I was like, oh, my God, that was rough. I was looking forward to the summer just to catch a break. Um, and so by the time school started back, I was not very ha- happy about the whole virtual thing again because, of course, the pandemic hadn't calmed down. We still had to still do the whole virtual thing. And by the time December came, I could no longer see my kids struggle with this virtual school, getting them up at eight o'clock in the morning, making sure that my second grader was um, on the computer. Um, and we all know if you all heard Destiny talk about the different learning styles, it was a struggle for my son to sit um, at a, at his his computer for six hours um, and not be want to be wiggle wiggle move around. We know some of our kids are they're busy bodies. They're not. They can't just sit at the computer all day. And so his teacher will put him out of the class, literally put him out of the virtual classroom. It blew me away. I was like, our babies are already having to transition and this is a struggle for them. And you put them out the classroom by putting him in another room on the computer. And he's like hollering and, and I'm just like, what's going on? And he was like, um, I was like, why did the teacher put you out? Well, Cause I wasn't paying attention. Like it blew me away. And I knew by December, I was like, I can't see him struggle like this anymore. He was crying. He was screaming. He was having a lot of just emotional problems going on. My um, 12-year-old was struggling. She got so behind on all of her lessons. She couldn't get in the classroom half of the time. It was so much going on. And I knew December 7th, I called Destiny and I said, look, I want to homeschool. Tell me about this life. I'm scared. I'm nervous. I'm afraid that I'm going to fail my kids. And just the way she talked to you guys, that's how I got started. So December of um, 2020, um, December 7th, I unschooled my kids for a good two months. Um, She's like, look, don't worry about it. Chill. Give yourself a break. Don't do anything school. (laughs) And that was a challenge for me because I've been brainwashed that my kids need to be in an educational school and they need to be learning. And if they're not that, they're not learning. And so with her guidance and me inboxing her, you know, venting, you know, she just kept encouraging me, like, you can do this. It's okay. And like, she just continued to like encourage me and and empowered me as a mom and say, we can do this. Like, you can handle this. Just chill, relax, you know, and everything she shared with you guys is what she, what is what she told me. And that's how I, I relaxed. I took a whole month. I even went from Andrea when she shared with you about you got the different ages, um, when she shared with you, hey, try financial literacy. Do something with going grocery shopping. Like, literally everything she said to you, I just started doing with them because I had no clue on where to start, what curriculum to pick up, what to do. But I was doing my research in between the downtime, um, during the downtime that I had with unschooling them. I told them, look, I had a, I had a conversation with them. They were scared, too. They were like, why are we not going to go to school? How are we going to learn? Like, even my kids were brainwashed. So it's like we had to unbrainwash ourselves, to unlearn. And so what I did was I sat down and said, you know what? Sleep all day. Don't get up. You're going to be okay. And I had to have that. I had to show my, um, I had to be encouraged so that they can see that mom, okay, mom knows what she's doing. You know, and we had conversations and I said, I want you guys to tell me what you want to learn. So what I did, I gave them an assignment. I said, you tell me what it is that you want to learn. What are some things that you want to know? What you want to, so we went a whole month, almost two months without schooling at all. I had no clue where to start. In between that, I started 
looking up and researching, joining groups, looking at um, black families on Instagram, following Instagram families, black families and what they were doing. Um, there is a program here in Tennessee. It's called Tennessee Homeschool. There's so much information people were sharing on there. And sometimes it does get a bit overwhelming. So I just took the information that I needed and I left the rest. And so over time, I just began to say, you know what? And, and Destiny kept saying, keep doing it. They're learning every day. Don't worry about it. Stop, you know, it, don't, don't stress yourself out. And so I would start using, um, teaching them. I learned the word, um, what is it? What word I end up learning? Uh, what was it? Um, it's where the kids learn how to. So what I did focus more on is just teaching them life skills. And so I just started honing in on that. We talked about, you know, what it's like to have a day, you know, waking up in the morning, you know, bathing, doing laundry. So I used all those things as learning tools. We started grocery shopping. They had to come up with a list. They did all the grocery shopping. So that what reading, writing, um, that including math, um, cooking. My, my eight-year-old is, you know, got him in the kitchen and started cooking. So, like, I would start slowly, Adrian, doing that with them, just exactly how... Um, Miss Destiny shared with you and started incorporating. Now, the oldest, I did exactly that. I gave her a little bit more things of her being more like you come up with your own schedule. And that's what I started doing. And as time went, it came together as a family. So it was a family thing. It no longer became my responsibility to figure out how my homeschool, how homeschool life would be. We were able to incorporate everybody. So my husband, he does the, the history. He is really, really good with history. So he incorporated the history lesson and he was the, the push to the homeschool thing. And that, I think that for me, that really helped me because to have that support in the home and for him to understand what that's like for us to be able to homeschool our children, um, the dad played an intricate part in that role with me being able to homeschool and even me working full time. And I, I also had to educate him and say, you know, you may not see them doing anything, but I promise you they're learning something. So it was like, he's learning as I'm learning. And now it's like, we're, we're just, it's this year, this, this season, this um, school year, I got a full curriculum. <laughs> we got a full schedule. We're on, everybody loves it, but it took the entire family incorporating that. And they didn't even know it. It just happened um, over time. And now, you know, I did purchase a curriculum for my daughter. So I do use um, Mia Academy. We started um, using Mia Academy. That's a new program. And she loves it. We were using something different. Miss Destiny said that you may, we may change a whole curriculum in the middle of the time we're homeschooling and you try something totally different and it's okay, but you do what works for your family. And my daughter loves it. Um, and so just for me not to go on and on, but that's kind of how my life is. And I do four hours a day. Um, and we still enjoy our time. We don't get up till 10 o'clock in the morning. We start. Um, homeschooling from 10 to 2 to 2 30 um we have a break in between um and a lot of time we do i do um focus on subjects so i do i still do the basic math the science the reading and we don't do it all at once i decided to split it up where we're doing math one day math and history one day and then science and, and language art but we we change it up a little bit we have um we can do online we can do paper or we can read together i destiny is, is so right about the reading reading out loud does help I think help really help my son speed read hearing hear, him hearing me read he loves hearing me read and so we make it mandatory at the end of each of our learning lessons that we pick up our book and we read 30 minutes and we put our timer on 
And my son was like, don't forget the 30 minute reading. So they are a part of their homeschool journey. They are in control. Um, and so it, that's what made life a little easier for me during this process. So for moms who think they can't do it, for dads who think you can, you just make it work for your family. Um, and I, I, I have not looked back. And I just keep saying, well, I'm going to graduate you at 16 if you're still showing progress. My 13-year-old, um, that's my goal is to graduate her at 16 so she can have a few years to figure out. She knows what she wants to do. She wants to be a dance instructor. She is a phenomenal competitive dancer. That's what she does. She competes. So she has the social life already. She's been doing that since she was five. <laughs> and so she's a part of an amazing dance team. And uh, my son, who is a pretty much an introvert, he loves coding. And so I bought him a coding program and I let him have at it. He already knows what he wants to do. And he's eight. He was like, mom, I want to create programs. I want to do these things. And so I'm still learning about things that I can put him in that incorporates that because he's really good at math as well. And coding has a lot to do with adding, subtracting and, and math and all that other stuff. So, so yeah, y'all hear my husband in the background. We still, thank, we still a family and we keep it real. So thank you all for sharing. Let me thank you. Thank you, Latia. Uh, just uh, so I can make sure that we get everyone an opportunity to speak. Uh, if you have, if you want to share your, your personal homeschooling testimony or uh, your personal uh, holistic home birth experience, please do. If you have a question, please ask that. But let's, let's try to keep, uh, keep it in a, a timely fashion so we can give everyone an opportunity to speak up. Forgive me, I should have gave the, the, the kind of the, the, the ground rules for everyone, but uh, is it, whoever uh, wants to take the floor, please take the mic. Hello, good afternoon again, everyone. Uh, I am Denise Knowles. Um, my experience uh, going into homeschooling was uh, a little bit different than Latia's. Um, I went into it by have to uh, with the pandemic. Um, I did not come from a strong academic background. Uh, born and raised in Dixon County, predominantly white county, to where when I made it to my senior year, my senior counselor told me, oh, you can be a manager at McDonald's. So that's the kind of academic experience that I had. And I was on the brink of a nervous breakdown. Uh, when what I, I'm piggybacking off of Latia with death. Uh, I'm not here to be her cheerleader. I'm here to speak facts on what she did for me and my family because I had no confidence in teaching at the time my nine-year-old grandson and my 13, well, 12-year-old son at the time because I always felt inferior academically myself. Um, I, I did go to school, received my degree in business management, but even still, there's always that negative self-talk within yourself. I am a certified life coach, but I am a tomboy at heart. My two older brothers didn't realize that I was their sister till I gave birth to my first child. So uh, I am an athlete. I, I'm a roller skater. Uh, my husband and I, we wrote a book together about our union and roller skating. But along with that, I am a basketball coach to a semi-pro men's basketball team. We play in the PBA League, which is the Professional Basketball Association. We also play in the ABA League, which is the American Basketball Association, which has been in existence longer than the NBA. 
the ABA had the talent, Dr. J, all those guys, and the NBA had the money. So uh, I'm honored to be in that position. I have played any sport that I could play uh, except football. My mom wouldn't let me play football way back in the day, but I love all sports. I love coaching. And so being an athlete is a, is a big part of me. And um, when we started homeschooling, Destiny immediately said, Denise, you got to teach roller skating, which I have no problem with. So whenever she and big brother Charles get to school together, I would, my husband and I both would love to be a part of that athletic arena. So um, what I would like to see happen, I am in Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, I would love to connect with with some homeschool parents in the aspect of physical activity. Uh, I do love sports. I do not like the gym. Don't like to go lift weights. But physical activity for our children is such a must right now. Our children are facing obesity. They don't want to go outside. They don't want to move around. Uh, and, it's, you know, technology is a wonderful thing. But technology, for one thing, has given our children very strong fingers. But they're not moving their feet. They're not moving their legs, their joints. I hear more of young children talking about aching bodies. And it becomes from being inactive. So just really brief. Destiny, she's all of that. She's going to break it down to the simplest terms. And Destiny, just know, D and I, we're here to support. We're here to connect with other parents. Uh, and I definitely would love to get together and do a sporting curriculum. Because I think it is important. It definitely is important. Then my son, who is doing Montessori, this year he is a performance child broadway musical child and so there are so many extracurricular activities that are an important part of the overall learning of our children and we have talented children we have smart children we have very 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 intuitive children so i just want to be a part of that arena um along with the academic side putting it together and making it work for our kids um, I'd love to uh, to think. I think I'm pronouncing your name right, but Cindy, for all of the feedback that you gave. Um, I'm 37 years old, but I was I was homeschooled when I was in high school, and so back then that wasn't that popular, and especially like for a black family. And many, like all the tips you gave as a former homeschooler or student of it, I can say are 100% true. And so I truly appreciated um, just each of those tips. I am, um, I was homeschooled in a slightly unconventional way in that I went to public school up until eighth grade and then I was pulled out for high school. I think, yeah, I began high school in 1998 or somewhere over there, yeah. Um, and at that time, my mother also did things where beyond what I had in school, she would always give myself and my younger siblings just extra worksheets to do. And 
she would always give us writing assignments. And so my youngest sister, when she was three years old, she was fairly gifted. And so my mother tried to put her in kindergarten. And at this time, I was like in the eighth grade. So my mother tries to put her in kindergarten. And they said that she was too young for it, even though she her knowledge was beyond it. So my mother asked if they could put her in preschool. And they said that would just regress her, even though it was the right age. And so she asked, well, what should she do for the two years? And their suggestion was to put my sister in daycare. Over a few weeks, we noticed my youngest sister stopped doing the extra little worksheets. And we asked her why. She said she wanted to be done so that she could go to school. And so my mother, not knowing really what alternatives we had because we were poor, we were raised in the south side of Chicago, I guess she discovered homeschooling. And and again, that wasn't really a popular term you could Google back then. So I appreciate all the things that she did to make it work. I thought she was crazy when she suggested it to me. So I remember my first assignment, I wrote a paper and I phoned it in and she gave me an F. And she told me, she sat me down and said, this is very real, it's going to happen. That I really had the freedom to construct my education over the next few years. And if I applied myself, I could graduate early. Or if I kept playing with her, she would fail me 10 years in a row and I would be stuck with her. And I never got an F in my life. So I was like, okay, this is real. And so I applied myself, did many, had a curriculum or a lifestyle similar to what Cindy described. And I did graduate at 16. And I got a full scholarship to college. Like to be able to graduate college without loans or anything, like one that was geared towards being a homeschooler. And so I think it's an incredible thing. And there are so many different method- methodologies. And it is a very different thing than like kids having to be home from school, but still following this curriculum. I'm an advocate for homeschooling. I think it's so amazing. So I'm just grateful this room exists. And I hope anyone homeschooling their kids that like you just stay encouraged because as someone who's gone through it, it was one of the best experiences of my life. Thank you, sis. I really appreciate you uh, sharing that. Uh, she belongs. Peace, peace to the room, God. You can go ahead and uh, open up the floor to someone else. God. Speak, my brother. Peace, peace. I just... Oh, okay, Eli's on. Okay, go ahead, God. Eli, we can't hear you, God. I think your your connection is, is, is bad. Um, I'm gonna move this. Uh, she belongs, so you can uh, try and work on getting a better connection. She belongs. Peace, peace to the room. I no, I just had uh, it was something that uh, I believe Iris alluded to earlier in the conversation she was having with Denise, as far as having your son, who's uh, I believe like a junior or maybe a freshman in high school. Um, they do have courses. Uh, that he can take college courses uh, at Mississippi Gulf Coast Community College. Um, I recently took a class where they taught uh, how to use bulldozers, um, excavators, skid steers, and things of that nature. So mostly geared towards the uh, industrial field. 
but uh, they have many programs like that, welding, things of that nature. So that may be another route that you could go, uh, depending on, you know, what Sister Destiny can work out for you. Awesome, awesome. Destiny, I want to pose some questions. Um, so um, obviously we understand um, the way the, the school system works. Uh, and even, you know, they, they've even taken it preschool. But um, can you explain the, uh, the tactics that are used by uh, school teachers, whether it's early childhood, through elementary school, through middle school, through high school, and even college, and, and, and talk about how we can kind of, um, for kids who have gone through the system, but for parents that are now trying to pull them out, what techniques can we do to kind of like unlearn the, the BS that they've been uh, contaminated with? And, and uh, you know, how do we... Um, get the kids up to speed so they'll be more better prepared to have success as an adult being an Aboriginal American with the, with the things that are going on uh, currently. Absolutely. Um, so I love that you say that because I want to set a picture for everyone in here um, about what you will see in an elementary school. In most elementary schools, it's got a little bit of work, uh, a little bit worse than COVID. So if you were to go into a public school, for the most part right now, you would see lines um, taped on the hallway floor. You would see children as young as pre-K who are being told to give bunny tails and bubbles. Now, I absolutely hate bunny tails and bubbles. I'm going to tell you why. So before I do that, though, this is a loaded question because I got my master's in transformative education. My master's thesis was on the positive effects of home educating African-American children. And so I did a, a deep dive into the American educational system because although there will be um, theorists and there will be experts that say that um, <laughs> there will be experts that say that our schools were not uh, created after the factory system, there are definitely some similarities. There are definitely some parallels. So let me walk you back to this, this to this elementary school. There are in many of our elementary schools, specifically charter schools, a lot there are taped lines that are in the hallways. Those are the lines that the students' hands, I'm sorry, the students' feet need to follow. They have to walk on one side of the hallway. They have to give bunny tails and bubbles. What are bunny tails? Well, if you take your two hands and you put them behind your back and you overlap them, they make cute little bunny tails. Well, in my mind, they are conditioning our children to get ready for the penal system. We already know, um, and a bubble, a bubble is literally fill your mouth up with, with air and hold it like you're holding a bubble in your mouth. So you're teaching that the schools are teaching our children to put their hands behind their back in a position that is very similar to people who may be going to jail. And then we are also telling them to be quiet um, and to do bunny tails and bubbles. We're telling them to walk on one side. We're telling them to, uh, uh, to be quiet 
uh, you know, to not ask questions if they have curiosity. Those are the things that we're seeing um, and that our children are experiencing. And that's just in the hallway, right? And so the reason why I say that, uh, and then, you know, to juxtapose that against uh, the, they call it the school to prison pipeline. It's not they, this is true. Um, there is a higher percentage of quote unquote African American indigenous students that are expelled and that are suspended um, at alarming rates. It's not just a little bit. In comparison to European counterparts, you have uh, black man, black males who get suspended the most. Next are African American females, followed by Latina and Latinx uh, young men and women. And so those are the things that our students are dealing with in the schools. On, on top of creating worker bees. Schools were not created to teach free thinkers. I'm going to give you an, a, a live active example. Our oldest, one of our oldest daughters goes to public school. I'm sorry, goes to a private school. And so it was really her going to private school that stemmed me to say, wait a minute, this is a totally different experience <laughs> than what the public school offers. Because at her private school, they don't have to raise their hands. They can walk out of the classroom whenever they want to relieve themselves. They have a chef that serves them plant-based food, and that, and they have a, a buffet that looks like a uh, golden corral. They can make. They have spa water that has organic lemons and grapefruit and all that kind of stuff. And I was like, and I'm looking at you know just opposing that against her you know her public school experience when she was in public, and I was like, oh my god, like I see it, and what I saw was that in that private institution they're creating leaders they're creating ceos and leaders of companies why because owners of companies don't ask to use the restroom owners of companies don't raise their hand when they have a thought or a question that's not what they do owners of companies run it they run it they they teach those young ladies how to be orators how to speak you know how to present and so um it was very interesting to me so to answer your question brother jay what we can do, what parents can do when you are trying, when you have decided, when you've made the beautiful decision to homeschool your child, just know that it's a journey because now you as a parent have to go on a paradigm shift, uh, a journey as well. And that paradigm shift is as a parent, you now have to change your mind. Are you ready for your child to be free? Are you ready for your child to get up and use the restroom when they want to? Are you ready for your child to ask questions or to, or to engage in a way or to say, Mommy, why do you do that? Mommy, why are you yelling so much? Mommy, why are you on the phone? Did you notice you're on the phone a lot? Mommy, and, and guess what? They're going to notice that because they're at home. They're going to be with you more. And so what I would suggest is really think about first taking yourself on a mental trip. There are some books that I would recommend. Um, they're on my Instagram page. Um, it, but it, it starts so, so, like, it starts beautifully. You have to educate yourself. Um, there's a, a book called um, uh, uh, The Well-Trained Mind. Although it is not by an indigenous woman, some of the things that, that they speak about in that book ring true about child development. The big question that we get is socialization, right? Every parent wants to know about socialization. Well, if I pull them out, uh, my, my mom says they're not going to be socialized. They're going to be weird and they're going to be this. Who cares? The last time I checked, socialization in public school was not the type of socialization that we want our children to have anyway. Last time I checked, we had children being jumped at school. We had all types of, of things going on inside and outside of the classroom. We have police presence in the schools where they shouldn't be there. There's so much 
going on? Do you really want your child to be socialized in that way? Or do you want them to have the freedom to think? Um, so there, there's a podcast that I, that I encourage all of you outside of obviously Sovereign Freed and this podcast. Um, there's a, there is a podcast called Fair of the Free Child. Fair of the Free Child uh, by Akila S. Richard has a beautiful podcast that walks uh, a lot of uh, indigenous, uh, Afro-indigenous, black, African-American, whatever you classify yourself as. It's she, her podcast, she has eight seasons. And sis breaks it down to the point where as homeschoolers, not only do we have to de-school de and decolonize our mind for home education, it makes us de-school and decolonize our mind towards relationships, towards parenting. So that's what I would say is really, uh, you know, uh, really, brother, just, just encouraging families, take that step because the first step is the scariest. Everything after that is you creating your own way. Uh, med- in- incorporate meditation incorporate your children grounding themselves and understanding their spirituality and their spiritual walk, whatever faith uh, or ideology that you subscribe to, make sure that you incorporate that because our children have been so filled with crap that we need to decolonize their mind, but we're also decolonizing ours. So hopefully that was helpful. I'm super passionate about this (laughs) because I think all of us can homeschool and I just think, think about this. Uh, I believe it's Dr. Uh, Dr. Africa who said it best. Do do the elephants send their children to giraffe to be trained? No, right? And it could be different animals. So excuse me if I'm if I'm if I'm messing up that that idiom. But that is what he's saying. Do, do you see other animals in the animal kingdom sending their children off to another animal to be taught how to be? No. You can't teach me how to be what only my mom and dad they they were created. I came through them. They have something that I need. Um, and so, you know, just considering that. So it takes decolonizing the mind, the parent's mind, and the child's mind. And similar to what Sister Niaja said about homebirth, it's the same with school. Your biggest enemy or your biggest opposer sometimes are going to be the people in your family that don't understand home educating. They're going to ask you all the questions. Can your child read? Does your child know the 50 states? Does your child, and, and my, well, first of all, my family has been very supportive because they already know when I go something, my husband and I, we, we don't mess around. And they, and they know where a united front. So it starts there with the king and the queen of the home uh, being a united front, right? And so my family doesn't ask. They don't even, they don't even question. When they knew I was doing it, they knew I had done the research and that I was going to do it. But when you pull your child, I, I respond to a lot of families. Do you know the 50 states and the capital? You don't ask my child, any, don't, don't quiz them. We're not, you don't quiz people, you don't just walk. That's like somebody qualifying you because of what degree you have and you're, are you qualified to be in this space? What's none of your business? I'm raising entrepreneurs over here, so they may not be learning what your children are learning, but know this, my children have businesses. My children are saving money, they're learning financial literacy. Things that are not being taught in other spaces. So decolonize your mind, read books to educate yourself, change your algorithm. Change to a plant-based diet if you haven't already because it takes that third eye being open just a little bit in order for you to even think about taking this step to home educate your children because it's a big step. And then block out the haters and let your children live their life and you live your life and watch all of you be great. Thank you, sis. And uh, the, the guy, Eli, had a, had a question that he had some uh, some technical difficulties and some bad service. So he did... Uh, Give me the question, and I will go ahead and uh, ask him uh, that that question on his behalf. He said, um, 
do you need to teach your child BS to pass or is there an exemption for it or do I still need to file through the state? All right, brother Eli. So I'm going to ask you to slide into mine or to my husband's uh, DM. And I say that because um, it depends. It depends on what state you are in. If you are in, so for instance, in the state of Tennessee, they don't give us any requirements on what we teach our children. The only requirement that we have to follow is that we we educate for 180 days at four hours a day. It doesn't tell us what days. It does say that we suggest, and I put that in quotes, that you follow uh, the norm. They call it the normal curriculum. And so what I started doing was being super extra. The first time I did it, I was super extra. What are, what is your what uh, education will your child be learning? I was like botany, chemistry. Uh, like I put all the things because I'm like that's none of your business, right? Like <laughs> that is none of your business. And so, but to answer your question, it depends on your state. Some states they do want you to follow a certain uh, a certain they they ask that you follow. They call it the the state regulated um, uh, curriculum or suggestion. So they'll say like you need science, you need math, you need uh, you know uh, reading, English language arts. So you can follow that template. But almost, I don't know of any state that actually tells you, you have to use this. So even if they tell you the subject, you can still take it as far as you want to take it. You can use any curriculum that you want. Heck, you can create your own curriculum. Go to the library. Go to the half-price bookstore. Uh, uh, utilize your local parks and recreation. Utilize your, your national parks. Um, utilize those people in your circle that may have degrees um, that, that are great at math or great at science. And, and, and form your tribe. And have different people teach you. So, you know, it's kind of a it's kind of a weird question, Eli. So that's a I would love to know what state you're from, so that way I can really kind of walk you through that process um, and can you know consult with you. But in the short of it, it depends on your state. Most states are pretty open, unless you are in, like I said, that East Coast, California or Florida. Um, and then really all they do is have you create a portfolio. What is a portfolio? He, he's he's in Michigan, sis. But continue. Oh, dope. Okay. So Michigan is similar, I believe, to Ohio, but I'm going to check it. So Eli, if you could send me a firm request on IG, I want to make sure I'm giving you the right information. Um, but I believe Michigan is similar to Ohio. Most states have the 180-day requirement. That's literally how long students go to school on your regular normal calendar. My family actually does, um, we are year-round homeschoolers. So our calendar already is jacked up because we do like a four-week-on, two-week-off type of situation. We usually take off the whole month of November and most of December. And I put off in quotes because we're, we're always educating even when we're not quote-unquote educating. Um, but in your state, if I'm not mistaken, I know Illinois is free. I want to say that Michigan is close to Ohio, but I'm gonna, I want to put a pin in that. I seen that you just requested me on IG, so I'm going to make sure that I hit you uh, in your inbox so that I can give you the accurate information because that is important as homeschoolers. I want to lead you in the right way, um, uh, brother, so I, I will do that. But the curriculum, they can't tell you what to do. You can choose any curriculum you want to. You can create your own curriculum. They don't even tell you, like, you have to follow the standards. What, what standards? Who's standards? Who created those standards? <laughs> like, the standards, are, the standards are a way to monetize giving schools money from the federal government. If you're a homeschooler, throw the standards out the window. Most homeschool curriculums, some of them go by the standards. Most of them do not. And depending on what your child, again, wants to be or wants to do, you can literally create what works for your child and how they work. I know so some homeschoolers that homeschool literally in the middle of the night, especially older kids. If you have high school students, 
high school students, if you know their night owl, they up anyway. Home, some homeschool students, their schedule is such. You have the younger kids that are homeschooling during the day, and the high schoolers are literally homeschooling at 1 and 2 o'clock in the morning. And as long as they get their stuff done, whatever their stuff is, quote, quote, stuff, as long as it's done, you know, you're good. And it, it follows your family schedule. So, you know, just kind of remember that. But I will answer your question more succinctly about um, Michigan. I just want to make sure that I am familiar with my laws. Also, for those on here, HSLDA, HSLDA.org is where you can go to look up your state. It's really quick. Um, if you do, you do not have to pay because it is a membership, but that is just for the homeschool association. You do not have to be a member to get the information. You can also go to your your state school board of education, your your state uh, department of education. So type in Michigan homeschool law. But even if that is still a little convoluted, which sometimes it is, I will be more than happy to walk you through that process. But you can do it, and 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 kudos to you for even wanting to, brother Eli. Hey, listen up. I have. I'm gonna give an opportunity for one more person with a brief, and I stress brief. We got about 10 more minutes with a stress brief question or comment. This is the time. Sovereign Creed are dedicated to the nurturing, preserving, and protecting of the Aboriginal American family. We are aligned with the customs and beliefs practiced by our indigenous American ancestors and will continue to ensure that their legacy lives on with everything that we do. Uh, I just wanted to say thank you to everyone who uh, is taking, uh, taking some time out of your, your busy schedule to uh, partake in this conversation, a very relevant conversation. Uh, as the goddess Destiny stated, you know, Tigers don't send their cubs to go learn from lions. Crocodiles don't send their, whatever they call their children, to go learn from eagles. Okay, so how could we have the audacity to believe that our children are better off learning from someone else? And not just someone else, someone who intends for them to have a place in this world that's Serving their agendas, often eugenicist agendas. Okay, um, if we've learned from anything in the past year, we really should have been learning before COVID. But I know some people are kind of, you know, late to the rabbit hole party. But regardless of your philosophy or uh, background, education, family structure, I think at this point it's very clear to everyone that there's something going on and some may not know what is exactly going on, but I'm, I'm sure we can all agree that something is going on and that something is, uh, it has weight and it has teeth when it comes to our community. You know, we have to, we have to start to question things. We can't be afraid to question things like why is the jab being mass marketed to our community more than any product in the history of of this country, of any country, like no camp, you, we've never seen a marketing campaign the way we do now. You know, and, and these agendas, uh, you aren't exempt from these agendas unless, of course, you consult with someone from a tribal government. And uh, make sure you stay tapped in with the Sovereign Creed show. Uh, we have a lot of things. Uh, 
in fruition. Uh, we don't we, the the guest list for the upcoming episodes is is, is very impressive to say the least. Uh, make sure you follow us on Instagram and Facebook if you don't already. It's Sovereign Creed. That's an S O V E R E I G N Creed. And definitely check out our website. Check out our merch at uh, www.sovereigncreed.shop. Uh, our t shirts are essentially uh, walking billboards, and they start conversations similar to this one. That's how this show was even came to fruition because our t-shirts and our themes and our collections lead to a conversation, a thought provoking conversation uh, to try to well not wake our people up but just keep our people informed and aware and kind of make it to be some level of accountability you know because we need that in our community so I want to give a special Thank you to our guests, uh, Niaisha Sebi Lahoon and Destiny Burns. Charles, we miss you. We will catch you in a later episode. Charles will be uh, with us here in the coming weeks. Uh, we will have him on for a family tactical plan episode. So if your family does not have a family tactical plan, then you definitely need to tap into that episode. Destiny uh, could you share with me briefly what you told me earlier over the phone about what Charles has done essentially for your kids? Absolutely. It's actually a part of our homeschool curriculum. So our children are familiar with our handguns. Um, we teach them survival, which I have a, a beautiful uh, survival book that I'm probably going to be incorporating. We also teach homesteading um, because teaching our children how to survive. How many of y'all know that our kids don't know how to camp? They don't like being outside. They don't like bugs. They don't like, they don't know how to fish. And so that is going to be important, y'all. Like, I, a lot of people have been saying it. When we grew up in church, they said, it's the last days. And we got to know, seriously, like, we're going to have to prepare. Are you prepared to have your family survive if no one will run to you if you don't have the COVID shot? And I'm not being a conspiracy theorist. We don't know that it's going to happen, but it could because people are getting fired from jobs for not having the shot. Um, so you have to know how. So my children know how to break down our guns. They know how to identify them. They know how to shoot all of them as well as we run drills with our children, um, you know, that, that specifically deal with intruders and mommy being incapacitated, daddy being incapacitated. And so that is something that if your children don't know, we cannot be afraid of the gun, uh, get the book Negroes and the gun. And it will, it will talk to you, um, about the, the the relationship that Afro-Indigenous people have had with the gun over time and how that changed in our culture. Because at one point, Fannie Lou Hammer wouldn't go anywhere without a gun. Um, so think about that. So that's just a little bit. My husband can go into it more depth. But, you know, we, we making sure ours are ready. Thank you, Destiny. And uh, for those of you who have watched The Walking Dead, I can, I can tell you firsthand, the people in our tribe, we aren't waiting for the zombies to build our Alexandria. If you catch my drift, we are building Alexandria now. Time, the, the, the time for us to be reactive and defensive is over with. Now it's time to be on your offense. Now it's time to be proactive. So with that said, I got to give a special shout out to my amazing producer, Cindy Ashby for making this possible. If you haven't done so already, make sure you go 
sign up for www.otw2.com so you can join our community of melanated aboriginal content creators where your voice can be heard and you never have to worry about censorship. Tune in for the next episode on Wednesday, September 1st at 5 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Central Time next week. I will be interviewing uh, the god Ken Wei Shi and Kojo Amaru Katia Shi Shabazz. Yes, I know that's a mouthful, but those uh, gentlemen will be on the episode entitled The Antidote Ask Me How I Got Reparations. Yes, I said, Ask Me How I Got Reparation. Those of us in the tribe who are in this room, we can tell you that it actually exists. So, yes, tune in for that episode next week. I am your host, J. Ali Shiamaru, and this is On the Wake Up Radio. Peace, everybody. Thanks for keeping the lights on, Diang. Cindy Ashwin On the wake up. How to sign up for OTW2. Type in OTW2 in your browser. It will bring up the homepage. Then you click the little man with the plus sign to open up an account. Use your best email. Select a username and then enter a good, secure password. Now you're at the home page. Click the key to log in to your account using your password with your username. Now search in the search bar for OTW2, which is the page we're going to subscribe to. Click subscribe. Click add as friend as well as click where the videos are. Click on a video to view, like that video, as well as comment. And your exercise is done. Thank you for your support.